welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy. And if you're wondering what's going on with the podcast, <laughs> I've had some technical difficulties the last couple days. I've, I've been, um, the last couple episodes, I've been touting the fact that we've got good internet connection and I can use all that uh, to, to enhance the podcast. But evidently, that's uh, made me stupid when it comes to utilizing my recording software. So I've had tracks dropping out, those type of things. So I think this is two in a row. So if you're listening to this now, you're listening to the new one that I've put out there because I was missing the entire intro to the previous version of this episode. So if you run into this, uh, sometimes if you hear this uh, dead air at some point and I've uploaded something, you can obviously go in and delete that episode and then download it again from your browser. And it should, if I've put a new one out, it should have it there. So I apologize. And we're going to put better quality control measures in place going forward. Okay, real quick, the uh, intros, uh, some of the topics... Um, some of the points I want to discuss before we get into our interview. Um, we've got some interesting topics coming up. I've had some people reaching out, and I'm excited to to talk about some of the traction the podcast is, is finally getting, and we're getting some some national looks at some of the, some things here. So we're going to have some more um, topical discussions coming up, which I think are going to be helpful. Also, don't forget the Patreon is out there. We appreciate the support that people offer for Patreon. We have. Um, some documents out there that you can download for free. We have uh, additional bonus episodes dealing with marketing and some other topics. So be sure to check that out. I appreciate all of you guys that part with your hard-earned money to support us here on the podcast. It, it definitely is, is, is nice to see that, to see that uh, you all see value in what we're trying to do here and that you show that by, uh, by sharing some of your hard-earned money. Also, our Facebook group, The Pastured Pig, uh, is growing. I think I get uh, a request to join almost daily, so be sure to be a part of that, and let's get some good discussion going there and continue what we have. And, of course, the website, thepasturedpig.com, is where you can check out as we uh, get more and more supporters. Then we'll be able to turn more and more features of that on. Um, this episode, as I talk about technology, it's you know the bane of my existence, but also is, is helpful. Um, this is the first episode where we actually have two people on at the same time. Today's topic is including Jack Polner from the Mindful Homestead and Brian Wells from 3B Farms. And they've been on the podcast before, two different episodes. But on this podcast, we're, we're having a, a friendly debate as to whether it's, you know, the pros and cons of raising pigs in a northern climate. Uh, versus maybe like a milder climate here in the Mid-Atlantic. So we kind of talk some things back and forth there. So without further ado, we'll get into their discussion, and I'll catch you guys on the tail end. But today, we actually have two guests on at the same time, and the modem's not smoking, the lines aren't failing, so I think this is going to work. So first, we're going to start in mediocre upstate New York with... No, we're going to start in beautiful... <laughs> Upstate New York with Brian Wells from 3B Farms. Uh, evening, Brian. 
Good evening. And yes, absolutely beautiful upstate New York yeah. is where I'm coming to you from. Yeah. Uh, although it hasn't been quite as beautiful lately, but I think uh, we're in for some moderating temperatures, so that'll be good. Very good. Very good. Well, over uh, over to his left, I assume it's to his left, because if he's in New York, then and he's looking down here at West Virginia, then it has to be to his left. Over to his left is Jack Polner from Mindful Homestead. And Jack is, is the man with the plan. He has the beard game of all beard games. I am so jealous of Jack's beard. But welcome, Jack, you and your beard. Thanks for having me. All right, all right. I, you know, I wish this was actually video so, um, so you could flaunt that. Beautiful. I actually put some of the Dapper Pig beard balm in before I got on because I assumed we'd be recording video as well. Oh, I apologize for that. Man, you got all dressed up and nowhere to go. That's terrible. I, I feel terrible now. All right, well, we may have to, uh, we may have to have <laughs> you... send a picture later. Yeah, send a picture and we'll just attach it or something. Yeah, yeah. All right. So if you guys are familiar with um, either of these two, um, I'm, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but they've both been on our podcast... And what's funny is I even wrote down the episodes, and I do not have them right here in front of me. <laughs> but I actually included them in the show uh, notes from last podcast. So uh, they're there. Um, I think it was episode 20. Like, I was pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking 19 or 20. And then, Brian, I was thinking you were up in the 50s somewhere. That sounds good to me. All right. All right. Well, we'll that's the... <laughs> actually got me, Troy, right after we finished our first year of pigs. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was the first time we had done them here on Homestead. Yeah, Homestead. that's right. That's right. Cool. All right. Well, you're you're old pro now. All right. Oh, so... We've grown a little bit since then. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's well let's go this way then. So, Jack, go ahead and, and anybody that's listening that maybe hadn't heard the episode or is not familiar with your YouTube channel, give us the 40,000-foot elevation of your farm and then uh, you know, feel free to talk about your YouTube channel a little bit and any other any other social media you've got going on so people can yeah, find sure. you. So, uh, the, the kind of 40,000 foot elevation view of our farm is uh, we bought 11 and a half acres uh, here in Greenfield, New Hampshire, southwestern part of the state back in 2016. And my wife and I started kind of doing the small homesteading thing. Obviously, the gateway drug is always chickens. And uh, a few years in, we, we got some pigs. We got a group of three pigs that we raised out on some forest pasture. We're mostly wooded here, or we were mostly wooded. Uh, and we raised those pigs on pasture that year and we sold off two and we kept one for ourselves. And that was kind of our introduction into pastured piggery. Uh, fast forward now to a bunch of years later, we, uh, we raised 10 pigs a year, um, Burke Durock crosses and we raise them on forest pasture right now. I actually have our pigs doing a little bit of work for me. Uh, we cut, we logged three and a half acres this winter and we are going to be getting into sheep in the next couple of years. In addition to the pastured pig business, but um, but I'm using the pigs right now to kind of help me flatten out and spread some old junky round bales that I've got to build this pasture up and uh, kind of just expand our farm. We do uh, we have a YouTube channel where we document everything we do. Uh, it's just called The Mindful Homestead. You can punch that into the Google machine and find all of our various social media. But, uh, but in a nutshell, where we're at these days is we do uh, pastured pork. Uh, we do turkeys, poultry, uh, both chickens and ducks uh, for eggs and meat every year and that's kind of uh the business we've got going yeah yeah so there's definitely a retail element to this this is a homestead slash farm because you're actually selling your products correct yeah it's tough to put labels on stuff i mean some people call it a farmstead right um 
I, I kind of like that label a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of interchange the homestead small farm thing just because while we, while we are selling product and we do have a farm business, I mean, we have an LLC and all that good stuff. Um, but most of the decisions that we make about what to bring onto the farm and what we want to do is inferred by what we want personally. So we wanted pork and we started raising pigs. Uh, we wanted a way to procure lamb because we enjoy eating lamb. So that's, you know, where the sheep thing kind of comes in. So while we are a farm, um, we kind of put ourselves first, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly the same way I look at our place. That if I don't get bacon, nobody gets bacon. One hundred percent. It's actually funny. We uh, you were talking about Internet before. We finally just were able to get fiber uh, oh. run to our farm. And uh, the company that was installing it, the the fiber optic company um never told the two guys that were dispatched to install our line uh that they would ha- well they were told they'd have to bury it they were not told it was 500 feet oh my goodness and uh these two guys didn't bring a ditch witch with them they didn't have anything and they just started digging by hand so at the end of it um <laughs> they took them two days to do i asked them i was like hey you guys eat bacon and uh they they left our property with um, their arms full of bacon oh from wow last year's pig. Yeah. so they were pretty psyched on that but yeah. It was and it was right in the middle of the heat wave too. I mean, we were above ninety five, which for New England is not fun. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Goodness. Yeah, man. Yeah, I I, I don't know about those guys, but I definitely would have taken my lunch money and and rented a ditch witch if I was having to dig five hundred <laughs> feet by hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Reader's Digest story is they did have one, but unfortunately the truck that uh, they used to tow that trailer they hit a deer with a couple weeks right. back and yeah. they weren't able to bring it. Yeah, and, you know. Stunk for them, but they've, they've got probably at least five or six days worth of breakfast bacon to, uh, to make up. Very good. Very good. Well, all right. Well, let's switch over uh, to Brian. Brian, same thing. What, what do you got going on over there in New York? Well, we are, again, in beautiful upstate New York, which is much different than the Manhattan that everybody thinks about. Uh, we are on a little over two acres, and we've done a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, I'm always tinkering with this, tinkering with that. But a big part of what we do here is we raise American guinea hogs, and we actually have a breeding program. So we're not only trying to raise meat for the freezer and, and bacon, of course, because as we've already mentioned, it's it's all about the bacon. Um, but also a big part of it is trying to help the breed recover. And so um, we actually have uh, two boars um, three breeding sows, and I actually have uh, a breeding sow on loan, permanent loan to Beardsley Zoo, over in Connecticut, hmm. um, and that's uh, that's something that I'm I'm really really proud of. Uh, they had a a breeding program for several years as they were helping the breed recover, and then their breeding stock got old, and they made some changes. And anyhow, long story short, they wanted to get back into it. And so I was actually able to send back some of their genetics because one of my boars actually came from Beardsley Zoo. Hmm. And so it was a real honor to do that. Um, At the moment, I don't know, for for me, sometimes I found that uh, pig math is kind of like bunny math and I lose track of how many we have. Uh, At one point, we had over 33 pigs. Oh, wow. Um, That was not by choice. That was because the farmer wasn't smart enough to uh, keep the hot wire hot. And so we had some uh, visits, unplanned visits of the boar over to some of the girls, shall we say. 
Um, but right now, we certainly don't have that many. I think I'm in the neighborhood of about 17, um, with seven of them being small piglets. Um, besides that, we do a lot of chickens. We have uh, quite a number of layers. We cycle our flock cut every year. So we have pullets that, as they start laying, we transition the older flock out. And we also have geese. We've done turkeys. We do meat birds. And, and like Jack, uh, we, you know, it, for us, it's a lot of it is raising for our own consumption, but then we sell to other people. And so trying to, I wouldn't say make a business out of it, because if I was making a business out of it, uh, I'd be the world's worst businessman, but at least trying not to lose my shirt on it. <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. Um, and then along with that, I have a podcast, the Homestead Journey podcast. And so that's available on basically everywhere the podcasts are available and we talk about self-sufficiency self-reliance and sustainability yeah very good very good all right well i appreciate you guys letting uh letting us talk about that and, and get everyone caught up um all right so those of you listening are probably wondering okay so what what is the topic what are we talking about today well i'm going to tee this up here and First of all, Brian and Jack have put together, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast, that they've put together a conference that is, is going to be New England focused. And it's, it's kind of broader for the homesteading genre, but we're going to, I'm going to let them talk about that for, for a little bit here. But we're going to drill down and, and talk about some of the challenges and benefits of raising pigs on pasture in these more northern climates, these these higher latitudes, and 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 we're going to I won't say spar. It's not like we're going to be like Phil Donahue and get an argument going here, but but I I, I want to compare you know, what they say are pros and cons with what I would feel would be pros and cons uh, down here a little further south. But anyway, first of all, tell us about Hone H O N E. What is that? Who whoever wants to go first? Go ahead, Jack. I'll take it up. Um, so HONE it stands for Homesteaders of New England. Uh, and it is it started as a Facebook group. Um, there was a Facebook group and, you know, say what you want about Facebook, you know, good or bad and all the stuff that comes along with it. But it is the largest community of pretty much anybody on the face of the planet. And if you're looking to bring people together, whether it's for video games, whether it's for, you know, collecting guitars, whether it's for pasture piggery and homesteading, um, it's arguably the best place to do it and to bring these people together. So there was a group on Facebook. Uh, it was deleted at some point a couple of years ago with 20,000 members. Wow. And the amount of information that was gone from that um, was unfortunate. And the, the group kind of like floated around. It went to a couple other social media sites and nobody was bringing it back to Facebook. And at some point I just said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take up the cause on this and, and reform the group and see what happens with it and see if we can get some of that knowledge and expertise back to spread among other people. Uh, the group has since grown to about 6,000 people. It's not what it was before, but it's kind of creeping back up into that. Uh, if anybody is, you know, listening to this from the new England region and you want to join, it's just search on Facebook homesteaders of new England. Uh, there's a few questions, answer them and we'll let you in. But, um, but as the group grew, and I saw that the knowledge was very um, specific to New England. Like it was people that had, had been homesteading and farming up here in this region. Uh, I said, you know what, this, this is great doing it online, but it would be even better if we could get these people together and seeing what uh, Amy Fellwell's few, I think fuel is how she pronounces it. I'm sorry, Amy, if you listen to this, 
Um, seeing what Amy's done with Homesteaders of America down in Virginia and some of these other smaller homesteading festivals that have popped up around the region, coupled with uh, Mother Earth News Fair, which has kind of been the seminal one that's been coming through New England, they no longer come up this way. I felt it was time to get something together. Um, I pitched the idea to Brian, who at one point I had begrudgingly made a moderator in the Facebook group. Uh, after him telling me no a few times, I told him one day, listen, you're just doing it. You're going to help me with this thing. And uh, him and I have kind of been on this path to get this thing set up for September 10th and 11th here in Greenfield, New Hampshire is the date on that. If you, uh, anyone was interested in knowing what we were actually talking about. All right. So so maybe uh, either one of you drill down a little bit and, and tell us about some of the speakers you have. And there's going to be some demonstrations, uh, even talk about the ticket price there. But um, for for people listening on the Pastured Pig podcast, kind of finish up with talking about why you know, why this is beneficial to you know, what what tracks or what what demonstrations are going to be applicable to uh, to people that raise pigs. I think one of the things that we felt was very important is that th there are certain challenges that we have in New England, just from the standpoint of climate um, and, you know, the, the, the lay of the land and so on and so forth. We, we wanted to make sure that we had something that was very New England centric, that spoke to the issues um, and, and to a certain extent, the culture that we have uh, up here now. I am technically not in New England. We had this discussion before we started recording. Upstate New York is not New England, technically. But I am about six miles from the Vermont border. And this area very much is kind of New England in culture and kind of the way of life and so on and so forth. And so they've begrudgingly allowed me to be a part of <laughs> homesteaders of, of New England. Uh, but certainly we, we have things up here, uh, you know, again, the winter is, is a big part of it. But even things like maple syrup, which is a big part of the culture in New England, um, just that there are a lot of things like that. And we really felt like, well, Homesteaders of, uh, Homesteaders of America is a great conference. To a certain extent, it's geared a little bit more towards the if you want to say Mid-South, the Southern style of homesteading. And we certainly wanted to approach things a little bit more directly towards what, again, the, the challenges that we face up here. So we have speakers that are actually from New England um, or formerly from New England. <laughs> so uh, one, of the, uh, one of the main speakers is going to be um, Morgan Gold. Um, and then we also have the former New Englanders now out of Pennsylvania um, and uh, from Homesteady. And we have people talking about seed saving, also about keeping bees in New England, which is obviously going to be a little bit of a different approach to uh, keeping bees than what would be you know, taking place down south. In fact, the, the gentleman that's going to be speaking, hopefully, um, although his wife is due to give uh, birth any moment now, so we may have to call an audible. But the, his name is Dr. David Peck. And as I was chatting with him, he said when he first got into beekeeping and he was looking uh, for information with regards to some of the problems that he was uh, encountering, so much of the information was, well, move it to a different, you know, move your bees to a different orange grove. 
my bees aren't in an orange grove. Well, just get rid of your bees and pick orange. You, you know, so it was very uh, southerly focused. And so he's really done a lot of research and um, and studying into uh, raising bees in the northern climate. And so I think that's really going to be beneficial. Um, and I don't know, Jack, who else am I missing? I know there's, a, there's, there's quite a number of great speakers that we're going to have. So like you mentioned, uh, we've got Morgan Gold coming down from Goldshaw Farm, who Troy, just as, as an aside, he has mentioned he is going to be getting into pigs. So uh, ah. might be a future podcast guest for you to bring on. Very good. Um, but we've got, uh, we've got Aust and Kendra um, Martin from Homesteady. Uh, Aust, as I'm sure you know, he has, at least for me, was one of the, the kind of formative gurus, I guess you could say, as to like us getting into to pastured pork and and doing that. He's got a lot of great videos on his YouTube channel. Uh, he's been in the pork business for years. They did have a successful pork business when they lived in Connecticut. Uh, so he's been somebody that I've kind of learned from in the past. And now I'm kind of bringing him on to, to talk about that as well. Uh, who else do we have? We've got uh, Rich Giordano, who's a local, um, very knowledgeable gardener, who's going to be doing a talk on seed saving. Uh, obviously with the way the world is right now you know the more self-sufficient you can be if you can harvest your own seeds for the following year uh, that's a great way to do it but i mean beyond kind of all of that i mean the whole impetus for this was as brian said you know brian keeps american guinea hogs year round and for him you know i'm i i raise feeder pigs for now at least uh we're looking at firing in the future once we have some more infrastructure built up but seeing what brian has to go through to keep his hogs fenced in, to keep the electric hot, to keep them sheltered and safe and warm and healthy. It's a lot different than what somebody even as, you know, as far south as Virginia is going to face. And then when you get into some of these, you know, other climates, you know, down in the panhandle of Florida or in Texas, uh, those are things that, you know, no matter how long somebody has been raising pigs in that specific climate, you know, Troy, you've had guests from all over the country and it's awesome to hear them talk. But it's not not everything they say is always applicable. Like, um, oh, yeah, yeah. You had somebody I remember from Arizona. And as interesting as that was to listen to, you know, it wasn't there's nothing from that episode that I could really apply, except for the fact that, like, hey, this is really cool that he's raising pigs in a desert climate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we wanted to do was kind of provide a resource and a networking opportunity so people can learn at this event, but also take information away, take net, you know, take other people's contact information away that if they're having an issue and they need somebody to talk to that, you know, may have done it before they can reach out and network with that person and build a community that is regional. Because in all honesty, you know, if you're putting everybody in, in one pot from all of new England and everybody has information they can share, but everybody also has the information to use knowledge from other people, it's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that and that's the thing. Even even with this podcast being as so specific as pastured pigs, our, our audience ranges all over from people just getting started, people that just want a homestead, to to really large uh, pastured pig operations, commercial operations. But I, I think I think the thread that goes through probably ninety percent of people that we've had on <coughs> and people that listen is this this idea of polyculture that's that we can't just be a, you know, we can't just be a pig farm and, mm-hmm. and have that dynamic uh, flexibility that we need from time to time. So I love this idea of people coming together, sharing the information from the homesteading level, but also looking at, Hey, maybe it's time to add bees. Maybe it's time to add sheep, or maybe it's time to add 
uh, you know, certain level of, of, of veg vegetables to, to what I'm doing for my farm uh, to generate more revenue. So I think it's a great opportunity for people to come and, and kind of stretch the knowledge not only in pigs but also in, in so many other aspects as well. So how expensive is it to come to the home conference? What do you what do you guys what do you what are you hitting people for? Twenty five bucks. That's it for the entire weekend. Whether you come for one day or both days. Uh we wanted to keep it in fact just before the podcast, Brian and I were talking, touching base on some things. Uh we mentioned point blank, we want to keep it accessible for families to come. Uh fourteen and over is twenty five bucks for the entire weekend. Uh thirteen and under is free. So if you've got a couple kids and you know, maybe they're not going to pull too much from it as far as knowledge goes, but it's a fun day for them to come out and see what's going on. Uh, they're they're going to get in for free, cool. which is what we're shooting for. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So, and is this is this like in a, a, a fairgrounds, a public park? Where, where are you guys doing this? Take it, Brian. Yeah. So we're actually um, meeting in Oak Park, um, and it is a municipal park. Uh, not too far from the Mindful Homestead, and it's a really beautiful facility. Um, there's a, a, a nice pavilion there. We're going to be getting a nice tent uh, to put up for the speakers. We're actually going to be having a, we'll call it a kid corral type uh, type thing um, for you know activities for the children. Um, so we'll have a little tent for them as well. And, uh, and to throw it out there, Brian says park. I like to say it's it's more of a small fairgrounds than just a park yeah. uh not to step on you or anything but in in doing some research into the facility uh the town actually used to host blues festivals there's there's that blues festivals there say that five times fast uh with up to 1500 people in attendance so we're not just meeting in some like rinky dink town park like it's a, it's a pretty awesome facility yeah so it sounds it, like it, it's going to have amenities that you need restrooms and those type of things then and it's really nice as well because it's right, literally right across the road from a state park where people can camp for the weekend. Hmm. So it's really a great setup for people to come and spend uh, a great weekend and just hanging out with like-minded individuals. You know, to us, as big a part of this, you know, learning the knowledge is 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 great. That's you know that's important, but that networking component. That face-to-face -face time, you know, establishing those relationships, really, that's what we see as being key. Yeah, good stuff. Good deal. Well, all right, wonderful. So, um, how do people? And obviously, I'll include this in the in the show description, show notes. But um, how do people book tickets? So we're doing it through uh, the the Mindful Homestead website currently. Uh, this came together pretty last minute, and. Uh, just to throw it out there and, and, you know, speak about the level of support we've had so far. Um, Murray McMurray Hatchery, which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, uh, they're presenting sponsor with us and, and they're giving us essentially a lot of the resources that we need to do this. But we didn't have the time to necessarily get some of the resources, such as a, an actual website for the event set up and going. Uh, so it's all going to be through our website, which is mindfulhomestead.com. Uh, and you can access the uh, Homesteaders of New England page directly by going to just mindfulhomestead.com slash H-O-N-E 2022. Very good. Very good. All right. So 
so let's talk about this then. So, Brian, you have pigs all year long. Jack, you have uh, obviously a, a certain season that you have since you're raising your feeder pigs. So, let's start. Let's it'd be start. nice. It'd be nice if Jack would man up and get <laughs> pigs year round. Right. You know, I, I I feel like he just needs to shave the beard off until he gets pigs year round. Yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Troy? Yeah, that's funny. I, I was kind of thinking at least trim it back a bit. Maybe. You maybe stubble like GQ stubble until until he's ready to go full year. Listen, I was told by somebody very knowledgeable that you couldn't build a timber frame barn unless you had a beard, and I'm trying to get that done by next spring. So, yeah. well, see, I'm if uh, the timber frame projects on my list this year. So if that's a if that's the case, I'm going to have to get like a Lee press on beard to wear because I I got nothing. So. <laughs> I can't grow a beard either. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's Listen, terrible. if I trim it off, I'll send some out to both of you, and you can just super glue it on. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be awesome. Yeah, the the, the red is what really just gets my attention. As as a Scotch Irishman, I, I I just you know I, that red is just is just what I'm, I'm thinking. Man, me with a red beard. And it's I'd, funny because I've got not a lick of Irish or Scottish in me. That's funny. Yeah. What is what is your heritage then that you've got that much ginger in you? I'm about seventy five percent Italian and twenty five percent Hungarian Jew. Really? Yeah. Wow. Inter- and a pretty interesting combination there. Yeah, that is interesting. Very interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we won't get into genealogy, but that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so let's start with let's start with Jack then, since we're picking on him already. So Jack, um, how much does New England climate play into your decisions on on what you're doing with your pigs? The the, the times that you buy them, the times that you process them. Uh, you kind of kind of walk us through that a little bit. New England. They were, we're looking at farrowing in the futures because I had a great guy locally. Uh, he had a couple uh, Berkshire sows and a, and a Duroc boar and really just everyone was friendly. His piglets were awesome. And, and that's where I got my piglets from every year. Uh, he is, as of a couple months ago, he let me know he was getting out of the pig game. Him and his wife want to travel more. So the idea of uh, farrowing on farm is something that is not out of the realm of reality within the next year or so, um, which is part of why we're, we're hustling to get this barn built. But um, but the way it's worked out in the past has been great. Uh, he had a facility where he was able to farrow mid-February. Uh, we were able to pick up weaned piglets um, mid-April, which it for us was not necessarily past the realm of definitely getting snow, but in that side of things where it was pretty mild out. Um, if it was going to get really cold at night, you know, I could put a heat lamp up in the pig's shelter if they needed it. But normally, if I just threw enough straw in there, uh, they were good to go. They could burrow down. And with 10 piglets, they had plenty of body mass to kind of keep warm. Uh, and then it runs right through summer, which is great because, you know, the summer in New England is, is mild. I mean, it's been 95 degrees or it's been above 85 every day for pretty much the last two and a half weeks. Uh, we both, that's out of sorts for us. That's not normal. Uh, normally, we have great weather to raise pigs straight through to November, a little bit of possibility of snow in October. And we process the the first or second week of November every year. And, um, you know, knock on wood, you know, three out of four years, we won't have any major snow events that early in the year, uh, which is awesome. Yeah. All right. So for us, it lends, you know, to raising feeder pigs, you know, I've definitely encourage anybody who's thinking about it in new England, you know, if you want to get pigs that, you know, piglets that were born in February, you bring them onto your farm in April and you process in November. That's a perfect spread of time where, you know, you're not going to face too many challenges as far as weather goes. Brian, on the other hand, can tell a different story. 
Yeah, but before we get there, though, I would also say, too, Jack, with, with regards to kind of, uh, you know, the, the climate, as it starts to get a little cooler in November, it, it really is the perfect setup if you decide that you want to do home processing. Home butchering, yep. Because at that point, you don't have to worry about having any kind of a major freezer, or, you know, fridge or anything like that if you want to hang it or, what, you know, whatnot. Um, you know, you can you can kind of let nature do its thing and be the you know, be the fridge, so to speak. So it, it really is from a climate perspective and, and doing it the way Jack's doing it, you know, it, it's really pr a, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good setup, so to speak. Yeah. We sell everything custom exempt. Um, so we, we sell only holes and halves. We don't do any retail cuts. And, um, you know, obviously that, that gives us the ability to be a little bit more, you know, lenient with things in the freezer and things like that, obviously following standard safety protocols. But um, but if I bring a pig back from my processor and the customer can't come pick it up at the farm for a day, it, it's cold enough that time of year where I can leave the the you know cold frozen cuts. They've been frozen in deep freeze. Um, they can live on our screened in porch in the back, which is definitely cold enough. And when you check them the next day, they're still frozen solid. They haven't mm. thought of it. Yeah, that's nice. We we run into that challenge here where if if I'm helping facilitate a pickup at the processor that it's it's like, yeah, we, we don't have a lot of time to mess around. And in fact, that's mm. that's the main reason why I put the walk-in freezer in, so I could um, have the ability to store uh, cuts, this particularly. But in that situation, if there's a 24-hour turn and and you know, we had an 80-degree day, it's like, okay, we got to be, we got to have something. Yeah, you got to have a plan. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so Brian, about uh, with with the guinea hogs all year long, what are, what are you running into there? I mean, do you do you choose? Well, I, I know right now, I, I, kinda, I know you're kind of laughing if I say this. Do you choose when you're going to breed and when you're going to farrow? But um, it, it, <laughs> when things work the way you want, how does that shape up because of winter? I think Brian's boars choose when people when <laughs> get ready. Yeah. He has Ooh, no say in it I, whatsoever. <laughs> I tell you what, I've had, I've had a bit of a rough run the last, uh, in, 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 to, to be totally frank, it's been my fault. Um uh, the one boar in particular, uh, he he was getting out, and I, I didn't, I was not as quick to reestablish the electric fencing inside his pen. Um, the the big problem with him has not been so much breeding; it's been fighting with the other boar. Mm. That's that's been the bigger issue with him. Um, the the my main boar, my older boar, bear. He's scooted through the fence a couple of times, or actually literally over a fence a couple of times, broken through electric uh, electric fencing. Um, so, but, but to answer your question, Troy, yes, I really do try to, um, I, I, because I, I don't have a barn. So the farrowing that happens here happens in, what we'll call them huts. I have a hoop coop. Um, but it's certainly not a barn. It's no kind of enclosure. And so my goal is not to have any farrowing until late March, early uh, April at the earliest. And so, you know, if you're counting back, you know, the three months, three weeks, three days kind of thing, um, usually I'm trying to put the boar uh, or the girls in with the boar uh, around November, uh, the end of November, first part of December, um, is, is kind of where is kind of my goal. Um, sometimes it's been a little later than that. Sometimes it's been a little earlier, but 
because I, I don't have the barn and I don't feel comfortable just putting heat lamps out in in the situation that I have, winter farrowings generally don't go well. And so my 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 goal is again for that late March, early April farrowing time, because the American guinea hogs are very, very hardy. And so as long as I have plenty of hay or straw in the hut with them, they they do well. But um you know, it, it certainly is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for certain. You know, it, it's interesting to hear you to hear you talk about that because in some of the interviews that we've done and, and other people we've talked about uh, or talked with, um, there's this aversion to obviously farrowing, you know, in January or the coldest coldest time of the year if you're further north. But there's also this aversion to farrowing in July and August when it's really, really warm. And the arguments that I've heard are, are people saying, well, you know, when, when you're farrowing and it's hot like that, then the piglets, you have, you have a higher chance for crushing from the sow because it's hot, they're just kind of flopping around. Whereas when it's really cold, you can put a heat lamp over in a crib area there and be able to have the piglets work over to the heat lamp and actually get away from the mama unless it's time to nurse. So I, you know, I, I thought about that. I was like, well, that's, you know, and I've done farrowing, you know, again, it's kind of similar situation to you, Brian, kind of all over the board. And I've been in a situation as well, as, as we all know, when pigs go to farrow, they usually wait to the lousiest weather date um, possible, whether it's, you know, a horrible downpour of rain or whether it's the coldest day in, in the winter. And that's when they tend to farrow. But uh, I'd be curious to see, you know, so, so what do you think about that idea if you had to choose would you rather have a cold winter or a warm summer farrowing or hot summer farrowing? Honestly, I've never really thought too much about it um, to, to really say I had a preference either way. The, you know, the American guinea hogs by and large are good mothers and we really try to breed for that. So if I have a, a, a mother that's crushing a lot of young, I'm probably not going to breed her again. So, you know, I think that probably deals a lot with that issue of or that concern of crushing um, because, you know, you, you really try to breed for for a better mothering instinct, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, <laughs> because of the length of um, what it takes to to get an American guinea hog to what we would consider freezer meat weight you're, you're looking at 18 to 24 months so i look at it more from the perspective of the the time that they're going to get processed so trying to count back from that and that's where i found that you know that march time frame uh, march early april time frame is great because if you're pushing them to 18 months you're looking at november december time frame and if you're looking at pushing them to, to 24 months, then you're, it's still cold in, you know, that late March, early April time frame where if you wanted to process at home and still take advantage of Mother Nature's cooling effects, so to speak, you still can do that. Yeah. So yeah. that that's a big part of the reason why I, I um, you know, am, am trying to aim for that time frame. Yeah, very good. Yeah, you know. Oh, oh, go ahead, Jack. I was going to say to to what you had mentioned before about um, heat lamp and the creep and and that whole thing. The the farmer that 
we've been procuring our feeders from um, has been very open as far as like letting us come to the farm, and, you know, experience, you know, experiencing farrowing and, and kind of being a, a somewhat of a mentor to us. Um, and his method was always, despite New England being what it is in February, uh, his method was always to provide a, a, a stall in the barn for the mother and a heated creep. And it, it's been really interesting to see how well that works. And assuming uh, if, if, you know, we do our job right in giving those piglets a warm place to kind of creep up and hang out, um, he's done really well. And, and that kind of would be my preference almost if, you know, when we get into this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's you know, pros and cons to both and, and it's just interesting. And it all comes back to, you just got to figure out what's going to work best for your, your situation, your own infrastructure and, and uh, just the layout of the farm itself. I really think that's, what's key is, is having the infrastructure to be able to handle something like that. So as, as I've kind of been thinking about the path forward um, with pigs and, and we've been kind of going back and full, you know, back and forth on, am I going to stay in pigs? I'm going to, am I going to get out of it for a little bit? Just, not because of anything pig related, but just because of some upcoming changes, life changes. Um, my, my son is getting ready to, uh, he's entering his final year of, of high school and going to be going off to college. And so we're wondering, you know, maybe do we need to step back away from pigs? Because having pigs like we keep pigs nails you down around, you know, around the clock all year long. Yeah. yeah. Where Whereas, you know, the way that Jack does things, you know, you do have kind of that break in the winter. So, you know, we've kind of been talking about, are we going to switch things up and, and so on and so forth. But as if I continue doing the American guinea hogs, I've thought that maybe what I want to do is put in not so much a barn. I've been looking at more maybe putting in, um, and, and I've had a lot of different ideas, but um, maybe, maybe a, a, pole, a pole barn type structure, but one side kind of open. Mm-hmm. Um, but with multiple stalls um, where we, we can farrow out of the weather, but still maintain that hardiness that we're looking for in the American guinea hog. So one of the things that I really try to do is, and, and this may sound, to some people this may sound cruel, but it, it just is what it is. Uh, a big part of what I'm looking for is very, very hardy stock. And so... Not to say that I abuse my animals, I don't. I try to take care of my animals very well. But on the other hand, I also want animals that can withstand the temperatures and, and the climate that we have here in New England. Mm-hmm. And, so, well, northern upstate New York. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful upstate Just, New York. And, will, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, I, I don't try to save every animal. I, I guess, if, you know, if that makes sense. It's like... If if I've got a sickly animal, I don't want those genetic genetics to stick around. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, I there's a lot to breed selection. You had mentioned uh, the desert farmer. I think it's Adobe Owl Ranch, I believe. That's you know there's certain breeds that are going to do well in that high elevation, low humidity, heat, um, you know, water concerns, those type of things. And there's some that aren't. And and you're just going to have to figure out what that that fit is. Uh, based upon the climate you're in or even microclimate like in our situation here where uh, you know we have a sheltered valley there's there's certain things it's like right now we're dealing with tons of mud because of the rain we've had so it's um, 
just something you have to adjust on because of your your infrastructure, lack of infrastructure, the lay of your land, the breed choice you have, all of those type of things. I've seen your hills, Troy. You need to breed pigs with a granny gear. Uh, yeah, exactly. No doubt. Well, that, right now, you know, when you've got um, your 500-pound sows walking around all this mud, it's like you know, it's like they're wearing high heels. So it's just these yep. churning constantly, and it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, afraid I'm going to wake up one day and the whole mountain's going to be down in the valley because it's just going to slip. Couldn't um, you breed some with like shorter legs on one side? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Right now, they're actually getting webbed hooves because they're having to swim through the mud, but. Uh, so, so this this is interesting comment. So, talking about mud is is a segue that I want to go to about water. So, so that, I think that's the first thing everyone listening thinks about, especially us Southerners. Are like, well, you guys are obviously bucketing water all the time because it freezes every day, and there's that that daily drudgery. So, so Brian, speak to that. What how have you how have you mastered your water situation up there when you're dealing with uh, sub freezing temperatures? Just as you said. I schlep water every day. <laughs> um, it, it's it's one of those things that I, I I've I honestly have not been able to figure out a better system than that. I've wanted to try to use um, maybe some kind of a um, like a defroster, uh, but my concern with that has always been that the pigs might want to chew on it, and I don't want to have uh, fried pork before I want to fry the pork. And so that's really been my method is I use the black rubber totes in the wintertime or, you know, the, the black rubber, um, uh, I'm calling them the totes, but you know what I'm talking about. Like the, the big d- and, indestructible uh, bowl things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although I have found that those are not as indestructible as exactly. what many people think they are. Um, yeah, I was using but, air quotes, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you flip them over, you kick the ice out of them, and you, uh, you know, you fill them back up with water, and you do that over and over and over again, and that really is a sucky part of of raising animals in in the winter time. I have tried the pocket hose to try to, you know, okay, well, instead of carrying the water, let me do the pocket hose and run that out, and then fill. That's more trouble than it's worth because you then you have to drain it, and you have to put it back in the five gallon bucket, and you have to put it away. I said, forget that. I just rather carry the buckets of water out there so really what i try to do in the winter time is i really try to consolidate the pigs as much as i possibly can mm. and then uh, well they have and, and while they have access to a good amount of woods they really don't want to go you know rolling down through through the snow anyhow so they have a tendency to stay up um what i call on top of the hill although you would laugh if you saw it because it's not really a hill, but uh, the upper part of, of we'll call their pasture, hmm. they have a tendency to stay up there anyhow. And so, you know, in that consolidation, it, it does make it a little bit easier, um, but it still is just schlepping water all winter long. Yeah. And that I would say that's the absolute worst part for me of keeping pigs throughout the winter. Gotcha. I yeah. just have not found a better a better water situation. The first few times we raised pigs, we went later than we do now, and uh, we were we were processing well into December. What we found was two things helped for us. I mean, if you're if your water source is close enough to not only a, a, a frost free hydrant but also a power source, you can buy the the heated hoses, uh, which do work. They're relatively light duty. You wouldn't want to leave them in the pig pen, uh, but that is an option for you. 
what we did find worked for us was we use a 55 gallon food grade barrel with two pig nipples in it. And I went to tractor supply and I bought a, a stock tank heater that was um, pretty much double. It was a hundred, I think it was rated for a hundred gallons of water. Uh, and what I found was you could put a stock tank heater in the, the 55 gallon drum and it would work if it was a smaller one to keep the water in the drum. But those those metal nipples being what they are and very conducive to cold, they would actually back freeze from the nipple itself into the barrel. Mm. Uh, but I did find that if you run a, a, a higher power um, stock tank heater in those in a 55 gallon drum, uh, we could actually keep that water relatively warm. It was coming out like 50 degrees. Uh, which was pretty cool, and it kept the nipples from freezing. Um, still, for me though, I wasn't about to spend two hundred dollars on a heated hose, so I lugged five gallon uh, like water cooler um, vessels yeah. out to the the barrel every day. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting. I know uh, we had um, we'd interviewed Walt Jeffries up in Maine at Sugar Mountain. Farm, oh yeah, and and of course he's got such a unique situation, but his spring fed and and buried uh, buried. Uh, um, barrels that we talked about that was kind of an interesting situation there so yeah it has to again it has to work with your infrastructure and it has to be something that you can justify the expense and and of course uh, the the electricity required to to heat all that water you know it's funny down here we we probably have about two weeks three weeks at most where it stays below freezing and and i have to be in a situation where i go around some of the impoundments and chip ice and, and do those type of things but normally it's well, if it froze over last night here in about see, about noon, it's going to thaw out and they'll have plenty to drink then. So it's it, it hasn't been a big issue. But, Brian, you said something I want I want to go to. And this is this is where I think is one of the pros of raising pigs further north where you have that solid freeze, because we call January and February mud months that when we when we look at pigs on pasture, in fact, that's why. I'm changing my farrowing schedule that will be farrowing in December because I want smaller animals on my pastures in the winter times during the mud season because they're going to do less damage on our slope. Um, so I, you know, it's not necessarily a sacrificial area, but the areas that they're on will be sacrificed less, I guess. Now, you talked about you consolidate yours in the winter time, and some of the other people we've talked to in northern climates same situation well every you know it's kind of funny i said well, what's your mud situation in the winter and people go like well we don't have mud we don't even know what mud is it, it it freezes over there's a snowpack and and we don't have a sacrificial area we don't have to worry about uh your know, winter destruction of of the pig herd there so so how, so what do you think about that is is that is that a legit pro that you guys have that you don't have to deal with uh, sacrificial areas and mud i i don't know um I think some of it does depend on how you, you know, again, how you keep uh, your animals. For me, I don't have lots and lots of pasture to to rotate my animals on. So I think it's a little bit of a different situation. Um, but certainly in, in the wintertime, we with with the, the freeze over, that certainly does make things a to a certain extent, a lot nicer from from that standpoint. I really try to manage the mud season that we do have with with a, a lot of wood chips um, to you know to kind of try to work as that carbon diaper and to absorb things, and then it really starts that composting process, uh, and then I scoop that out. 
of of their area and and kind of let it let it age. Um, so you know, yeah, definitely. I, I I won't say though that we don't have a mud season. Um, I just don't think it lasts as long as what you guys have. I yeah. guess gotcha. if that makes sense. Okay. I don't, would you Would you agree with that, Jack? Oh yeah, I would definitely agree with it. And I think that um, I think that again, like with the way we've been doing it, we kind of skirt that mud season. Uh, you know, they come in as piglets and in, in April, and that's the high mud season for us. I do the same thing you do. I mean, I, I pump. They have a sixteen by sixteen, what we call the training area where they learn electric fence with just 16 by 16 hog panels and then electric around the inside and that is just i just pump wood chips into that area to kind of combat any mud that might happen during that part part of the year and then as soon as um they're ready to go out you know mid-may mud season's kind of passed and there's enough pasture that i give them that you know they're not they're not making a whole bunch of mud at that point yeah yeah all right well, let me ask you this. And this, my goodness, this topic is you talk about rolling a grenade in the room. This could be a whole nother uh, podcast episode. But what about the benefit of being in a harsher climate like you are? Where we've got a heavier freeze when it comes to parasite load. What do you think? Is that a, is that a benefit? Is it wives tale? Does, does it help at all? For me, um, we we haven't warmed our pigs. We've warmed our pigs once ever. Uh, and it was really only because we had a pig uh, last year and it was either a possible genetic issue. He just wasn't putting on weight like I would have expected. I didn't know if he had worms. So um, so I, I ran a course of worming on the pigs and, uh, and you know, hoped that that was the issue. And as it turns out, no, he, it was just some sort of genetic abnormality. Uh, when we processed him, he had literally no fat on him. His bacon was straight meat, which I'd never seen before. Wow. Um, the processor said we had said just turn him into, into sausage the entire pig and the processor came back and said there wasn't even enough fat on him to turn him into sausage i had to steal from other pigs yeah um but for us uh, i i think it lends itself i mean granted we have what i kind of have come to call my three-year rotation uh, i don't put pigs on the same pasture for three years so once a piece of our property sees a pig it won't see a pig again for three years hmm. uh, which is something i'm able to do because of how spread out we can be on our property and, and this relatively small number of pigs that we're raising. But, um, but worming, worming and parasites for us have not been an issue that we've encountered personally. Um, you know, I've been present for, for some of our pigs when they were processed and been able to see, you know, stomach contents and things like that. Yeah. And I've never run into it, which is just knock on wood, a great thing for us. Yeah. Uh, Brian can probably speak more because he's a little bit, his property is a little bit smaller and he's, definitely running pigs you know more frequently through areas you might be able to touch on that yeah i mean to be honest we again you know knock knock on wood like jack said we've not had any kind of uh, major parasite problems here mm -hmm. either and and just because of the not the the setup that we have here um we're not doing a lot of rotational type thing um, so we do have pigs on the, you know, on the same ground over and over and over again. Um, I don't know whether or not the lack of parasite problem is because of the, the cold winters or if it's because of the breed, you know, the, the American Guinea hog is known for being a, uh, a more parasite resistant breed. Um, or if it's just been dumb luck, you know, I, I don't know. 
Yep, I, I, I can I can relate to both of those. You, you, sometimes you just don't know, and and then you know, that's our and situation. I'm not going to complain about it either, Troy. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, feel like it 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 almost dumbs me down a little bit because when somebody asks me a question about worming, like you know, I, I, I'm not an expert on pigs. I don't think anybody, you know, there are very few experts out there when it comes to raising pigs, pasture pigs especially. But I feel like you know people assume I know stuff because I've been doing it now, and they ask me a question about worming pigs and. I kind of just throw my hands up in the air and say, well, this is what I do. And I've never had to worm my pigs. So, you know, I remember last year, I thought I knew a good bit about raising pigs. And now all of a sudden I'm going through, well, what wormer do I want to use? What one would be most effective? What do I think it has possibly for parasites? Um, you know, the dumb luck thing sometimes just kind of works out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, and, and I found myself, I don't know, and you, you kind of get into ruts and say, well, I'm just going to do this because that's, what I was told to do back in the day, and that's what I've always done. And, and one thing I do is, is I always go through a, a medication regimen at at weaning. So when I've got my my pigs in the the weaning paddock where they're separated, being trained on electric fence, then that's an opportunity while they're sequestered to go ahead and, and deworm them. And, and I've just always done that. But I've I've never run into a situation. You know, I've never had anything rejected at the processor. I've never had any clear evidence that that it's even doing anything. Right. So. Um, so yeah, it is. It's it's one of those things. Whether it's dumb luck, or whether it's closed loop, or whether you've really got your 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 situation figured out, or it, you know, it could be a multitude of things. So I think that's one that that is another thing, though. I think that um, maybe has been very helpful to me is that I do maintain a closed herd. Yeah. Um, I, I I did bring in a boar about two years ago, um, and and when I did. You know, he was sequestered, you know, he was quarantined, so on and so forth. Um, we, we in the past, have taken pigs to the fair. Um, and so, you know, there is a little bit of interaction there with other animals. But even still, when I would bring them back, I would quarantine them and so on and so forth, really trying to practice as good of biosecurity as it possibly can. Uh, I also don't travel to a lot of other pig farms. Um, and if I do, I, you know, I try to clean my boots and, and so on and so forth. So, um, I think some of that probably plays into it as well. We also don't have, um, a huge problem with feral pigs in, in our area. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if they would be considered a contributing factor to that or not, but certainly we don't have to worry about that. So, you know, I think all of that probably together adds up to something but i can't tell you what it is yeah yeah exactly like you say it's just you just kind of put these elements together and say well okay let's let's just go with that that's the theory we're going to go with until the theory is proven wrong so so along the similar lines of parasites i have to ask you just because down here it's it's horsefly season in fact uh, this evening when i was out doing chores three of them ganged up on me and they almost got me off the ground because they're that's that large and that uh, aggressive down here. So, do you guys? Uh, I know the further you go north, you've got black flies and you know season that's a little ridiculous up there. So, what about that in the summertime? Do you have to deal with, or, or is it something that's a big issue, or you just let it be what it is with your pigs when it comes to those flying pests? It's huge in New Hampshire. We always joke that if uh, you know if you're not careful, the black flies will pick you up and carry you away. <laughs> um, as far as the pigs go. It, they're pretty resistant to it. Um, they will get bites here and there. I've never had one that was really reactive. I did have one uh, female last year in, in our batch 
that she did develop a few abscesses early, very early on in black fly season, uh, whether they were, you know, directly attributed to black flies or not. Um, but they resolved on their own. I didn't even have to go into the antibiotic thing with her on that, which was really nice. Uh, Cause the last thing anybody wants to do is to have to pop an abscess and do that sort of thing. Cause that's a real fun time. Um, but honestly, the pigs kind of take care of it themselves, you know, pasturing them in the woods like we do. Um, they have lots of areas to hang out. They do have some spots where they can make some wallows and, and get some mud kind of put on themselves. And, and really, as far as, you know, black flies go, I mean, they're more biting an issue than, than they are like, you know, being present in manure and dung and things like that. Yeah. They're more of just a nuisance than really a, a major issue for us, at least. Yeah. And for me, I, I really up to this point have been very lucky not to have much of an issue with really any kind of insect. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. I have to echo what, what Jack said down here with, uh, with the boars and the sows and their separate paddocks, uh, just checking on them this evening. And it is, it's the mud bath. The mud bath takes care of now. They, they tend to always miss that spot right behind their ears um and uh, you know, along their along their spine so that's kind of where the flies hang out a bit but but it's weird yeah it's it's one of those things where it's um, being around cattle it seems like cattle are more affected by um, horse flies uh, than the pigs are i don't know if it's just because they're just so thick skinned that uh, the bite really doesn't resonate with them or they just don't care but um yeah it's it's, it's more of a nuisance for the farmer because when you're standing around them then you, you usually get one land on you and drill a hole in your back before you realize it so Oh, yeah. The, the horse flies are terrible, and there's some really big ones this year. I will say that the biggest issue I've run into, and, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, well, don't you worry about coyotes? Don't you worry about other things? The only issue I really run into that that's frightened me was last year we had a young male black bear um, that was lurking around our, our training pen early on. It, it was early spring. He'd just woken up from hibernation, and that that maybe month long period where there's not a lot of green up in the woods for the bears to eat, not a lot of berries, um, whether he was going after the, the grain in the piglets feeder or going after the piglets themselves, um, you know, who knows really, but that's been really the only major issue I've run into from another animal, uh, in, in you know, now over five years of doing this, uh, I have game camera images, game camera images of coyotes, not 10 feet off the electric fence for our pigs. And, uh, you know, they could jump right over it. It's two strand electric, you know, 18 inches high. And uh, those coyotes could jump right in if they wanted to. But once the pigs hit 75, 80 pounds, they don't want to mess with a group of pigs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting you mentioned coyote because uh, my father and I were just talking about this. So I, ever since we put in electric fence in the woods um, and, and the way we did it, the, the area around the house where the chickens are and the barn and those type of things, the pastures are kind of surrounding that uh, headed west, which is where, you know, it's no man's land. That's the rest of our hundred acres. So it's, it seems like it's been a really good buffer and, and trying to figure out, is it the electric fence or is it just the fact that there's large sows and large boars hanging around that the coyote don't want to have anything to do with it, but haven't had any issues since we've done that. But then also we've noticed we, we've had a, a substantial decline in coyote population around here. So I don't know if with our uh, aggressive DNR stance of, you know, 
kill every single one of them if that's what's taking care of it. So it's it's been nice not to have the coyote pressure. But other than you know, coming in and getting chickens, we've never had them deal with uh, or tr even attempt to try to deal with piglets. It's it's it seems like the sows have done a great job, or the electrics uh, electric fence has yeah, done a great job. We've got ton of them, tons of them around. Um, but it, but it's kind of like I get them on camera all the time. But I mean, we have, I think it might just be the electric because we've got electric around the chicken pen. We've got poultry netting up. Um, there is no fence between that poultry netting and the woods where I see coyotes running all the time, both in person and on camera. Mm. And, you know, again, knock on wood, I feel like I'm doing that a lot in this chat. <laughs> but but in, in the four years we've had chickens behind poultry netting, I have not had one coyote jump that four foot poultry netting, which it very easily could do. Uh, to try and get in there and snag a chicken from us. It's mainly been raccoons and possums that have kind of yeah. snuck in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, we we sometimes um, behind our house is kind of the old the old town dump that got capped off back in the late 80s, which is nice because we don't have to worry about anybody building back there. But uh, then it kind of runs down to, to the river. And there's a, there's a pack of coyotes that we'll hear out on the old dump and down, you know, and that's, I mean, where we have the pigs kind of butts up right against that that uh, that old dump there. And I, again, like Jack said, I feel like I'm saying knock, knock on wood a, a lot here. But we also have not had any problems at all with, with coyotes messing with the pigs. Um, we did have a situation, uh, I would say probably six or seven years ago, where I kind of got a little cavalier with chickens and decided that I was going to put them down in the lower um, area where we now have the pigs running. That was before we had pigs. And I went from 30 chickens to 13 chickens overnight. Oh, wow. And it was one of those situations where, you know, they always say, well, if the head's missing, it's this. And if it's torn apart, it's that. And if it's totally gone, it's the other thing. And if there's feathers left, it's, you know, something else. Well, it seemed like every predator known to man said, hey, we're going to have a party at Brian's Coop tonight because we had it all. You know, we had some where they had bit them and bled them out. We had some where they'd ripped the heads off, some where they had torn them up, some where they had totally disappeared. It, it was wild. Um, but that's that's been the only problem that we've ever had as far as predation goes with any kind of our animals here. Yeah. Um, other than other than some uh, hawks, we, we've had some problems with aerial predators getting chickens. But. Sure. Yeah, yeah. If anybody out there wanted a, a clear indicator of what is New England and what is New York, um, we raise pigs in the forest here in New England, and Brian raises them next to the old dump hill. Out <laughs> <laughs> New York, we raise pigs near the dumps, and that's where the co the coyotes that hang out on the dump, you know, don't attack our pigs. That's oh, I'm sorry, Brian. I just had to. I had to yeah. jab you. On. Yeah, that 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 fits into that beautiful upstate New York, doesn't it? <laughs> hey, it is beautiful because it's capped off now. Beautiful upstate <laughs> dump hill. It, it is. It is evergreen. It, it Nobody's only glows, building there. It only glows in the dark in the fall. It, it looks. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I was gonna say it never holds snow because the warmth of decomposing dump is underneath it. <laughs> and the methane heats everything. It's great. Oh, all right. All and the right. water, well, boy, does it taste good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Drink deep. <laughs> all right. Well, we've digressed too much. All right. So, yeah, it's actually we're at the we're at the hour mark, and I uh, wanted to keep keep from keeping you guys all evening. So, um, any any parting thoughts uh, as far as our discussion here, and when it comes to pastured pigs in uh, upstate New York and in New England. 
just do it. If you're on the fence about getting pigs, I mean, we hemmed and hawed about it for a couple of years and, you know, I'm not going to try to come off like I'm some sort of expert and I have all the answers, but if you're thinking about getting a couple of pigs for your small farm or homestead, just jump right into it. Grab three. I think that's the perfect number to start. Uh, keep one for yourself, raise two to sell to either friends or family and uh, have fun with it. I mean, if, if you can raise a dog, you can raise a pig. And, uh, you know, it, it's there's nothing better than putting some homegrown pork in your freezer at the end of the season. Exactly. And you're less guilty about eating your pig than you are your dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what part of the world you live in. Yeah, that's right. Dog makes a fine meal. Yeah. Hey, I, I 100% agree with, uh, with what Jack just said. And I think one of the things that uh, it's also important to keep in mind, well, we talk a lot about pasture, you know, you talk about pasture pigs and so on and so forth. Um, you don't have to have lots and lots of acreage to, to raise a few pigs. It can be done very uh, humanely, very sanitarily, and in a small um, amount of, of area. So I think for, for many people, I don't want to say for everybody, because certainly there are people who live in urban and suburban areas where uh, a pig wouldn't be appropriate. But for, for many homesteaders, certainly starting with you know two or three pigs like Jack mentioned, it's something that's very, very doable. It's a lot of fun. Pigs have great personalities, and they're, they're really a fun animal to raise. And the other piece to it as well is when you have, you know, that overgrown zucchini, you don't feel quite as bad about it because you're just taking it and you're turning that into a bacon. Um, so it, it really does, I think, help you um, better utilize your resources that might otherwise you know, and, and not to say that composting is, is bad. Obviously, compost is a great way to, to use some of that stuff, but you can only com- compost so much and use so much compost. And so to take and turn some of those things into bacon or eggs with, with chickens, of course, uh, is, is, is a great thing. So I, I highly recommend people give it a whirl. I would, I would definitely say, though, that if you're getting into pigs, don't do as I did. Uh, I went from zero pigs to 13 pigs. There you go. Yeah. Um, don't do that. <laughs> that's that's not necessarily a recipe for success. Yeah. So That's wisdom uh, talking right there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Good deal. Good deal. All right, fellas, um, we're going to wrap up here. Um, give me uh, one more one more thing about the Hone Conference. So remind us again of the dates, and is there a cutoff? Is there a, after this point, no more tickets will be sold, or will there be tickets sold at the de- at the gate? Uh, so September 10th and 11th, uh, Greenfield, New Hampshire, Oak Park is the uh, the time and place. Uh, we will be selling tickets right up until uh, I've capped tickets at 1,500, uh, which I we're not there yet. I, I don't know if we will get there, um, but uh, but we're not. We may get your tickets beforehand because if we are selling tickets at the gate, they are going to be more expensive uh, than if you bought them online beforehand. Uh, we are planning, we'll have food trucks there, we'll have all sorts of other stuff going on. So there are certain things we need to plan based on attendance, and uh, we're doing that based on pre-ticket sales. So buy your tickets beforehand, you know, do us a favor, do yourself a favor, make sure that you're coming, and uh, yeah, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, yeah, I can't stress, as as somebody that that's worked in event planning, it it is really helpful. If, if you're going to attend, get your tickets now. Because, man, it is so helpful when planning and trying to figure out just, you know, all the 
all the accessories, all the accoutrements that are needed, it's it, it really helps to know who's coming up, not wait until the last minute. So yeah, like I'm not trying to have porta potties look like Woodstock '99 you right, know, by the right. end of Saturday. I want to make sure we're we're good to go for everybody. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wasn't it a couple of years ago down at Homesteaders of America they were having to bring in extra ones and try to find some? We, we'd rather avoid that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I've been at all of them except one, and 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 there was yeah there was one year it was it was bad it was like um, i think it was this past october when you and i actually didn't link up even though we were both there yeah yeah probably may have been may have been it was one of those deals where you know he's like kind of glad i'm a dude because i have other options (laughs) 100 behind the uh, the big barn yeah exactly he's like i'll step in the i'll step in the sheep paddock no one will know All right. Well, wonderful. Well, guys, man, I sure appreciate you coming on and, and being our, our test flight for multiple guests. And like I said, as I flaunt my technology that I have now here, appreciate you guys coming on and, and uh, having a fun conversation with me. Thanks for having me, Troy. Thanks so much, Troy. All right. Well, you guys have a wonderful evening. Hope it cools down up there and you guys get, uh, get some things done. I pray you have a great week. Well, I really appreciate both Brian and Jack coming on the podcast and taking some time to talk about uh, their event and, of course, what's going on up there in New England when it comes to raising pigs. If you're going to be in that neck of the woods, September 10th, that's coming up pretty soon. So be sure to check that out. I'd love to see them get as much support as possible. I love when when people take the initiative to try to put these things together, just an opportunity to get together, to network, and to share ideas. So be sure to check that out. Uh, there'll be some information down below in the show notes as well. Well, again, appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and uh, appreciate all the feedback as well. Uh, one thing considering on the Patreon side, uh, maybe some interest in doing some some live discussions. Again, now they have the opportunity to do some Zoom type stuff. Uh, maybe see if uh, some people on the Patreon side want to get together and, and maybe just have some discussions uh, off and on, uh, you know, whatever whatever timetable that looks like. Uh, so give us some feedback and let us know what you think. Uh, as always, if you would like to be on the podcast or you want to suggest topics for upcoming episodes, just send me an email at troy at redtoolhouse.com and we'll see about getting it on the list. All right, I pray everyone have a great week. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.